Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, June 13th. We begin with a look at where the Defund the Police campaign is at today, two years after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. We get the latest on the movement and counter-movement from Shiri Pasternak, professor of criminology from Toronto Metropolitan University. Migraine sufferers know that summer months can be a lot more challenging than other seasons throughout the year. If you experience migraines, is there anything that can be done to ease the pain? We tackle that topic with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Are you panicking about getting your kids into summer camps? Not to worry. Calgary's Child Magazine has tons of suggestions to keep the kids busy over the summer months. We get the lowdown on the latest issue of the magazine from publisher and editor-in-chief Ellen Percival. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. This time out, we speak with business consultant, speaker, and author Genevieve Peturo on her journey, leaving a successful corporate career behind to pursue her passion as a philanthropist. According to an Ipsos poll, 50% of Canadians under 38 are in favour of defunding the police. So what does a growing counter-movement and opposition say about the police? Joining us to comment is Shiri Pasternak, Assistant Professor, Department of Criminology, Toronto Metropolitan University. Good morning to you, Shiri. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. When we use the term uh, defund or defund the police, it, it sounds radical, but... It isn't exactly defunding. Uh, It's more reallocating funds. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the process of defunding, first of all, is about identifying roles and functions of the police that they're not equipped to do and transferring those tasks to appropriate service providers or agencies or organizations. And, you know, consultations that Halifax undertook showed that the National Police Association actually agreed in some respect they were not necessarily well-equipped to deal with mental health calls, for example. You know, I think that we need to get away probably from that word defunding, right? Because I think it's just got such a negative uh, connotation to it. But are there Canadian cities that have successfully, whether you call it defunded or reallocating money, are there other cities who have done it well and it's worked out for the community? Well, we're at the beginning, I think, of a probably a long movement and process to start scrutinizing police budgets. So far, there hasn't been success in the defund movement in terms of cutting back um, police budgets because there's been a huge amount of opposition and defensiveness from police, but also because this is a moment where we're starting to just raise public consciousness about what is in the police budget and what justifies um, these massive amounts. For example, Western cities in Canada allocate about 20% of their municipal budgets to police. So the defund movement is finally pushing back against that and saying, you know, what, what, what is this money giving us in terms of community safety? That's what we want answers to. And I think uh, as these questions begin to circulate, we see more and more evidence of the kinds of forms of community safety um, that are keeping people actually safe from police rather than endangering them in mental health calls and so on, I think we'll start to see more success in actual budget cuts to police. Sherry, can we count the growing counter-campaign to defund the police as an indicator of, of the movement's success? I think so. I mean, the thing is, George Floyd, the his killing in Minneapolis in 2020, for many it seemed like the spark that led to calls for 
defunding or abolition of police forces. But really, this movement has been going on for decades. And I think the reason it gained momentum was because of failures in demands for police reform and accountability. I think people were very patient for a very long time, despite the amount of judicial killings against black and indigenous people for so many decades. People were patient and, uh, you know, going along with... uh, body-worn cameras and sensitivity training and so on. But I think that kind of reform showed itself to have almost no impact on the targeting of vulnerable and racialized communities. And so people want real change. They want to see that money being reallocated to community groups who are effective at actually keeping people safe and addressing the underlying harms of criminalization, such as poverty um, and gender-based violence. Doesn't it make sense to do both, Shiri, in terms of making sure that there's enough money within the police force to do the job that they need to do to keep us safe, but also to certainly, you know, move some of that money towards mental health help or adding forces that will be able to go to calls with the police and help them better in, you know, in in some of those situations that they're not, as we say, you know, completely trained for the mental health side of things. Doesn't it make sense to do both? I think that's an excellent question. And, you know, when I talk to students, the first question they always have when learning about abolition is they say, well, what are we going to do about rapists and murderers? You know, what are we going to do about keeping people safe from the kinds of dangers that maybe the general public or a community group couldn't do? So then I always say to them, well, what are police doing now about those kinds of violent crimes? You look at rape, for example, one of the most underreported crimes in the country and one of the um, smallest conviction rates um, for people who are actually charged with it. Um, Police sexual harassment is one of the biggest forms of complaint against police officers and rape in prisons is one of the most egregious forms of violation there. So you have police both and prisons both contributing to sexual assault in society while, you know, doing nothing to actually prevent it. Um, so I'm not sure how effective police are there. And in terms of conviction rates for homicides, clearance rates are the lowest they've ever been. And homicide rates are going down as well. And there's hardly any cases where police actually prevent homicides. It's usually investigations. So we do have a kind of misalignment between an idealized notion of police keeping people safe and the actual reality of what, what police do. So I think we need to radically rethink what community safety means from the perspective of those who are most um, victimized by police officers today through carding and um, racial profiling and and so on. Speaking with Shiri Pasternak, Assistant Professor, Department of Criminology, Toronto Metropolitan University. And Shiri, uh, here in Calgary, we've had an ongoing debate over the thin blue line patch and, and how it's perceived by the public or just in general. Is there a problem with police culture in our nation? I think so, and I think that's why sometimes it's hard for people to get behind this critique of police because they know people in their communities who are police officers, who are good people. And so it's important, you know, to stress that movements like Thin Blue Line are the reason why good people within the police force have a really, really hard time making a difference and often end up resigning or getting bullied off the force. There's a culture of we stick together, we stand together, and that leads to a kind of general impunity that the police have when they are convicted. Toronto Star just did a report showing 600 cases across the country of charter violations that police enacted through arrests 
And then they followed up and they found there was almost no action either against that officer or um, more generally through that police uh, detachment as a result of those kinds of charges. So there is a cultural problem. I think you're right. Shiri, we talked about a stat just in that opening statement bringing you in, you know, 50% of Canadians under the age of 38 are interested in defunding police. Why do you think more young Canadians are open to this kind of idea? That's a good question. I mean, I think that there is a, um, a history of social movements that we need to pay attention to where this isn't just a movement that came out of nowhere. This is a movement that came out of organizing that people are doing on the ground, much of it by youth movements um, who believe in change and who have the time and capacity to do it um, and may also be most targeted by police. Youth, youth tend to be. And so I think people are learning from each other. They're learning from the failures of police reform. They're learning about the histories of colonization um, and the impacts it's had on communities. And I think they are ready to make what some people call radical change, but seems very rational change um, in most respects, because we can see how policing is not working to keep communities safe. And so people are demanding um, solutions and alternatives that can actually reduce the level of harm in society. Thank you so much for your time and your explanation this morning, Sherry. We appreciate it. It's been great being here. Thanks for having me. That is Shiri Pasternak, Assistant Professor, Department of Criminology, Toronto Metropolitan University. Tis the season for increased migraines. According to research, that's because more frequent changes in air pressure during the summer months can trigger these terrible headaches. Do you suffer from migraines? If so, can you do anything to lessen the impact? To discuss, we're joined this morning by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. What exactly is the difference between a regular headache and a migraine? So migraine headaches are very, very particular. Your regular headache typically is felt to be related to muscles and to tension, uh, whereas a migraine is a neurologic event, where it's basically um, like the same way a seizure is a, a neurologic event, so is a migraine headache. It's a very distinct pattern. It uh, tends to come on very abruptly. It can be quite severe, quite disabling. So it's a very, very particular type of headache. I think we've all had headaches in our life, uh, Dr. J. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering, you know, and I don't want to be flip about it, this is something that happens in our heads. So how, <laughs> how, how, are the, how do you diagnose it and say this is a migraine versus a headache when, you know, only the person experiencing it would know what the pain's like? Understood. But it's typically, again, it's so particular. So... A lot of people get a bit of an aura or a prodrome, so they know before their headache that they have a certain feeling. The headaches typically are associated with having trouble with bright lights or loud noises, nausea. Uh, usually they're one-sided. Uh, usually you, there's a visual component to them. Come on abruptly or severe, go away fairly abruptly. So they're very, very particular. But, you know, to, to the question about triggers, because right now, I mean, we're, the weather's all over the map and migraine sufferers are struggling if they are triggered by barometric shift, which is usually the issue here. It's all about triggers. So if, if I, one of my triggers is a change of sleep pattern, if one of my triggers is stress, and there's a barometric shift in the weather, I might get a migraine. If it was just a shift in the weather alone, I might be okay. So the key for people 
at this time of year where there's all kinds of weather shifts is to try to manage every single other trigger they can. So if stress is a trigger, try to mitigate that if you can. If sleeping in or not getting enough sleep is an issue, then make sure you get enough sleep. If wine or alcohol is a trigger, be very careful with that right around this time. So it's about managing all your triggers. And if you do that, generally the frequency of migraines can be decreased. So there is hope here. Uh, Dr. J, I've only had a couple of migraines in my entire yeah. life, thankfully. Um, and, you know, it's really lying in a dark room kind of thing, maybe yeah. ice pack yeah. on the back of your neck. Is there any, is there a treatment per se for a oh. migraine? So this is a hotbed of, of uh, medical help. So there are prophylactic drugs that can be used to sort of really decrease the frequency and severity. We have all kinds of uh, managements of acute headache that can be done right at the onset of headache if the headache's well established. So this is a place where see a medical professional, there's a slew of options out there and some of them are extremely effective. So you, nobody should be suffering in silence on this one. Wow, some great advice and super mm-hmm. timely. Thank you so much, Dr. J. Thank you, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. The new Calgary Child's Calgary's Child magazine is out. And in fact, they have two issues available for you right now. Joining us now is publisher and editor-in-chief at Calgary's Child magazine, Ellen Percival. Hi, Ellen. Good morning. Hey, you've been busy. Tell us about these two <laughs> issues that parents need, especially with summer just around the corner. Well, let's talk about the summer fun issue. It has 10 weeks packed full of fun things to do. We've got we've got Discover Paddling if you ever wanted to get on the water. And once you get up on the water and you're comfortable on that paddleboard, we've got five places in and around Calgary that you can you can try out your new skill. We've got scenic hikes for all ages, awesome suburban walks, scenic cycles. That's new for us. Um, Lori has come out with a new book, Fit Frog, and it's all about wonderful uh, cycle rides around the city. So we've got five of her favorites. There's cheap and free summer programs. It is absolutely packed. Farmers markets, events, festivals, attractions, day trips. Wow. There's no reason to hear I'm bored this summer. <laughs> that's for sure. No, there's no guarantee we won't, though, Ellen. That's the problem. <laughs> um, but let's, uh, you know, bottom line this, because it has been kind of stop and go. It's been slim pickings. Can we say that we have the same amount of selection pre-pandemic at this point? Absolutely. It is. This calendar is packed full of things to do. And, and we tried really hard to focus on free and cheap and cheerful as well for those budgets that are stretched right now. So there's, there's just no reason why you can't have a ton of fun you, every day. You nailed it for Andy. Cheap. Yeah. He's yeah. on it. She knows That's me. his favorite Ellen price. Hey, Ellen, what's the second uh, magazine or second issue that you have out? We've got a fall education and program planner. So it's all about thinking forward already. Sorry about that. But Mm -hmm. it's, you know, for the parents that really want to reconsider or consider their child's education options, or they've got little ones starting preschool or kindergarten next year, there's lots of study help. We've got some bickering. (laughs) There's a wonderful article on uh, taming the bickering at your house. Um, Not that that happens anywhere. (laughs) Now, all all kinds of education options all the way through Calgary. That is fantastic. And let's bring it back to the summer and the activities we can plan for our kids. Because what I love about this is you can either take a day off work and get online and search yourself and do the research or hop on to calgaryschild.com or pick up the magazine because you have links and everything. Basically, you flip yeah. through the magazine and you can be set, right? Absolutely. There's, there's links to absolutely everything. So you want to learn more about it if you go on to the digital edition. 
Um, they're all live linked there at calgarychild.com, or you can pick them up, um, paper copies all over the city. Lots of people still like to circle things and tear <laughs> things out and put it on the fridge. And so we offer both. I love that you do that. Calgaryschild.com is the website. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us. I think you just saved a lot of people's lives for the summertime. Thank you so much. Thanks. Ellen Percival, publisher and editor-in-chief at Calgary's Child Magazine. Oh, and this is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. Genevieve Paturo has written a book that chronicles her leap off the corporate ladder to pursue her purpose and passion. Turned out to be delivering pajamas to children in need. To tell us all about her story, which even got support from Oprah, is Genevieve Paturo, author of Purpose, Passion and Pajamas, How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection and Lead with meaning. Good morning, Genevieve. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Pleasure to chat with you. Let's talk about what happened more than 20 years ago when you left corporate life, started a nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure. Well, uh, growing up, you know, I always wanted to be corporate girl. I always wanted to be in the entertainment business. I lived in New York, so I wanted to live in New York City and be single and have a great life and just climb that corporate ladder. That's been my dream for years. And I did that for almost 12 years until one day in the midst of this crazy workaholic single life, I heard a voice in me ask me a question. And it asked me, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? And that's when I I stopped and I thought, Wow, I'm I'm going so fast and what for? I'm gonna be alone in another thirty years and you know, stressed out. And I said, you know, I was raised Italian family, traditional values, but I sort of skipped that and I tried to find a way to bring children into my life and I started reading in emergency shelters and I went at night in my business suit, very unaware of what to expect. And these children had been had been traumatized. The police or social workers brought them to these emergency shelters for safety. And I went in and I read to them at night and I guess it was to calm them down. I volunteered and I saw that that's what they needed so that they could process these kids and find what they could while they were quietly listening to me read a story. But one night after a few weeks, I went to see where they were sleeping and that scene broke my heart. It was a bare room, much like the one I had been reading to them in, futons and couches, <clears throat> two or three kids helped up together, huddled in their in their street clothes that they'd been worn, wearing for days. And I asked if I could bring pajamas, and they thought that was a nice idea, so I did. And I gave them to the kids, all quietly took them, went into that room after reading time. One little girl was just so afraid, so afraid of me, she wouldn't take anything. And I gently spent a few minutes with her and tried to show her how, how pretty they were and have her feel how soft they were. And I said, don't you want your pajamas? And she whispered to me, what are pajamas? Oh. And that was the end of any passion I had for my corporate career. And all I could think about was how many of these kids needed pajamas and how many could I get to them? Incredible story, okay. incredible start. We know how it ended up. You've, you've had recognitions from... A recognition from people like Oprah, for example, but at that time, and again, this, that was the, the turning point, it sounds like to me, but when you made this decision to leave the comfortability and the familiar uh, successful career, was there a bit of trepidation or was there some fear? A bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, um, it was the most difficult and frightening thing I'd ever done because 
you know, I was a good student in school. I got a job. I followed the rules. And there I was. And now this open, unended place I was entering where I had no answers, no knowledge. All I knew was I have to do whatever I can. And in my book, that's why I wrote it, because for years people said, you know, can you help me? I, I'm similar. I want to stop what I'm doing. I realize this. And, and I would say if I did it with nothing and no knowledge, I wasn't a saver. I had no money. I wrecked up my credit cards. I borrowed money. I, you know, I fibbed at work. And it's just that passion that fueled me. And I feel like it, I had the, that invisible help from the universe. But I cried at night. I was so afraid, one step in front of the other. But things changed when I started to trust in the human connection. And I started to tell people that little girls, you know, asked what she asked me, and people started to rally. It's like, it's like they felt her sadness, same as I did. You know, I think there are a lot of people through the pandemic that now coming out the other side are starting to reevaluate their careers. So if someone is looking to do something with more meaning for perhaps, you know, for example, what you did, something along those lines, or maybe not even something so extreme. Do you have any advice for them moving forward and what that might look like? Well, I teach the jump method, which is what I did. And some of us just have that gene. And I also teach the slide method because you are absolutely right. This pandemic has brought us all inward. You know, what have we been doing up till now? Is this how we want to continue? And we, some of us had some, some frights, you know, some, during this time. And it really makes you think, what do I value? And so the slide method also works very well for people who maybe they like their job. Maybe they don't have enough freedom. They have responsibilities and families. They can't make the jump right now, but they want to feel that passion that they've put on the back burner for too long. And I teach people how even one hour a week, there are so many ways to bring it into your life, how it changes your outlook and your attitude. It's magical. And an interesting line from the book, uh, that the power of one is really the power of one another. Is that a concept that you had to learn or is this something you've, you've always had within you? Oh, I had to learn it because like so many of us, before I even started pajama program, I thought and watched and said, oh, look at the power of one person. One person can do so much. And I thought the same, but I didn't think anybody had a purpose except, you know, Einstein and, and Oprah and famous people. The rest of us just had jobs and hoped to have, you know, a nice life. But when I started to talk to people and see that rallying compared to me alone as Santa Claus with a, with a you know, a sack of pajamas on my back, I realized, you know, and I tell people, it's not the power of one that changes things. It's the power of one another that moves mountains and moves people. Where are you now with your pajamas? Are you still doing it? And how many pajama pa- pack, uh, pairs of pajamas do you think you've handed out? We just celebrated 21 years, 7 million new pajamas and books to children around the U.S. And we have 43 chapters around the U.S. And two years ago, I passed the baton of the executive directorship to um, a woman who always wanted to, to be the executive director. She didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And I said, you know, I want to finish the speaking I started. I want to finish the book. I want to help people who keep asking, you know, do you think I can do it? So now I wrote the book and I speak on how purpose changes everything and the power of the human connection. And I, I help individuals and, and companies find purpose and align it with their lives or their businesses. Incredible stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to direct people to 
Hop online and check out Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and Lead with Meaning. That is the latest book from Genevieve Pietiro, business consultant and speaker. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Genevieve. Thank you so much for this invitation. Good stuff. That is Genevieve Pietiro. And again, more online if you search at GenevievePietiro.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.